0: What is going on? This is such an awesome opportunity to do something I have never done in my life before, which is to welcome two totally different location churches in one message. Uh, I'm talking to you, Cape Christian, today. If we've never got the chance to meet, my name is Pastor Chris Harrell, and I am best friends with your pastor, Pastor Corey Demel. Our city church, if you're watching this, uh, this is awesome. I am in Florida right now at Cape Christian, which is one of our partners, our partner churches. They have helped us before we got started and every year since uh, we are a part of their church planning initiative where they help us in Southern California and quite honestly, our church would not exist and wouldn't have been able to do the things we've done. I wouldn't be wearing this Serve Our City T-shirt right now if it wasn't for Cape Christian's generosity, their heart for other churches besides theirs, is certainly brand new churches like ours. Uh, we have done what we've done. Some of you are at our church. Some of you have come to hear and learn about God and learn about Jesus and your marriages and your kids are different because of Cape Christian in Cape Coral, Florida. And I want you to know today, we have an opportunity to actually all go to church together. So right now, wherever you are, we are literally sitting together, listening to this as one big house of faith, which is really, really awesome. And so I welcome you here today, no matter where you are, Today, uh, I wanna share with you something. I think in our current climate, our current society, I just think we all need to revisit, remember, or for some of us, learn maybe for the first time ever in a new way in our faith. If you have a Bible, I wanna invite you to open it up to one of my favorite stories and chapters in the whole Bible, which is in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, This is the famous story. Most of you, even if you're not even a church person right now, or you're just got this sent to you, uh, and if you're new to either Cape Christian or our city church, you know, you're just like, look, I don't, I'm not really even a Bible reader. I'm not even a Christian. You're in the right place. Uh, You don't need to believe exactly like us to belong to our communities, uh, whether you're at in Florida or California or around the world, because we want you to learn the things that have changed our lives. We want to share our version of who we believe Jesus is, of what we believe about the Bible and how we believe God loves you and has a plan for your life. And so we invite you to listen and to learn uh, from, from this wonderful story that you've probably heard about. Um, This is the whole chapter where the story of David versus Goliath takes place. I don't really wanna hone in on David versus Goliath. There's an internal little story that happens in the midst of that grand story that I really wanna highlight and get into and talk about. But to do that, I wanna set up a little bit about kind of what we, I believe, are all dealing with uh, as a church, as a community, as a people, as a nation, uh, and, and make sure that we all kind of understand the dynamics. I want to do that by being super transparent and honest about myself, about something I struggle with. And I don't know if any of you out there are like me, but I have a problem with um, getting distracted. Okay, I am often distracted. Uh, I, I want to illustrate this by letting you know how many hours a week I spend looking for my lost keys, okay? I lose my keys all the time. Like, I can't tell you how much of my life has been spent searching for my keys. And I'll, I'll put them somewhere, and all of a sudden something else will distract me, right? Something, a notification or a phone call, or somebody will ask me to do a favor, or hey, would you do this, or go out, or I'm, and, and, I, and I don't know where I put them. And so then I'm, I'm in my house, and I'm, I'm going downstairs. I don't know if you've ever done this. Have you ever lost your keys, and when you lose them, you, you, you like don't know where you put them, right? And there's two total like honest places in my life that I know I go to when I've lost my keys. Number one, I know I've really lost my keys and I can't find them. When I've searched all the normal places and I've come up empty, there's two things I do. Number one, I pray. And I say the following prayer, God, I know you know where my keys are, and I ask you to tell me where they are now, which always works, I don't know why, but it actually is awesome, it always works, you should try it. But number two, this is the other one that shows up before the prayer. This one is embarrassing, but I start looking for my keys in places that I know that there's no way they are. Like, I'll start grabbing shoes, and I'll be like dumping the bottom of my shoes out, shaking them, trying to be like, did I put them in there? I'm looking in drawers, there's no way. I'll check trash cans, like did I accidentally throw them away with like my hot dog bun? Like, I don't know what I did with them, but they're so lost. How many of you right now, put it right now, if you're watching online, like put that in the chat. Are you the person that loses your keys and you just don't know, and you start, you're in drawers, you're looking in the medicine cabinet, you're in the backyard, like everywhere you can do to find your keys. And the reason why, for me I have found, is that I get distracted looking at something way less important, right, than actually being able to get into my car and go to work or, you know, go see a friend or go run an errand, go to the doctor, whatever it is we gotta do. And it's something else small became large to me. And now the thing I actually need or want to do, I can't do, right? And this happens. And put that in there. How many of you right now, you're like, that is so me, right? Now I know there's others of you, like you're thinking this thought and you're, you're, you're quietly judging me saying like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like you don't ever lose your keys. Hey, God bless you. Like you're wonderful. But to those of you that just heard hope, I want you to know, you probably spent your whole life wondering, are you the only one like this? There's lots of us. You're a part of a tribe. I welcome you in. Welcome, sister. Welcome, brother. But listen, in all seriousness, how often do we get off the path of something, off the, off the way of how we're supposed to be living, acting, being, believing, for something actually that is insignificant to really the larger thing that we would like to be able to pull off or go do? You might need to get to work, get to school, get to class, go home, and you're just like incapable of doing it. Why? Because somehow, some way, you just misplaced a small responsibility as much of like, where did my keys go? This doesn't just happen with me. It doesn't just happen with you. This happens in a lot of areas of our lives. We get off of what's most important. We get off, for people of faith, if you're a person of faith today, we get off living out who God has called us to be. And we all of a sudden become totally like washed away in these other ideas that are not even as significant, not even as important. We wanna make our point We want to make sure people understand where we're coming from, and we forget the value of the person. We don't care. They lose their humanity, because what I care most about is being right, not the relationship being right. And if you become the kind of person where all of a sudden, instead of the relationship having priority, it's about you and your point of view having priority, then you have missed what God wants us to live out and show this world, especially Today, if you are a person of faith, this is more critical than ever, because I don't know about you, but if I look at the survey of how everyone is interacting right now, like our world is not really leading the emotional maturity category of life. They're not leading how to have conflict. They're not leading how to prioritize the right things. It seems like we care more about how can I have my point of view be right to you versus how can we be right in relationship and I don't think that any of us like that when it's done to us and yet it's hard to see when we're doing it to someone else What I wanna do today is I wanna look at what God has to say to this because I don't think that's how God wants it to go. But sometimes we don't know, well, am I supposed to stand up for truth? How do I stand up for truth? Am I supposed to like just let them say all this crazy madness? It's like, how are we supposed to do this? How am I supposed to focus on what I'm supposed to focus on? And today, I wanna look into the story of David because when you look at who David is, who he was, and you understand a little bit more about his story, I believe a lot of this stuff really will make sense to us. And I think there's some wisdom and transcendent wisdom at that that come from God. God's word, which is what we call the Bible, and, and, and you will be able to look into it and go, wow, that, that is something I need to do a little bit more of. Here's why. If you don't do that, you will care more about your political view than you do about relationships in your family. You will care more about your theological position than you do about someone having a chance to hear about forgiveness from Jesus. You will care more about being right to your husband than you will about making sure things are right between the two of you. You will care that your daughter is gonna listen to what you have to say more than you will do about making sure that she is right with you and you and her have the ability to ongoingly have discussions, not just you be right in the one you have. We will make it where I care more about, I was right. And that's the little perspective. That is you getting the notification on your phone and you can't find your keys and you can't go where you wanna go. Some of our lives right now are stuck. You can't go where you wanna go. You can't get where you wanna get. Your relationships can't go where they wanna get. Why? Because you have prioritized lower priorities. You have focused on things that shouldn't be the focus and God wants to help you today. I wanna look into how this happens, but to do that, I'd like you to help me. Would you type into the chat real quick there and then? Everybody say there and then. Uh, everywhere I travel, everywhere I speak each week at our city church, I always speak from the perspective. And when I've been here with you, Cape Christian, of there and then, for me, it, it, it's the way I always say, I want you to know what was happening in the Bible there and then. Because if we don't understand the world of the Bible, then the words of the Bible will never really make sense to us. So there and then, here's what's going on David is a brother of many, many brothers. He's got a ton of other brothers, right? And he's the only one still at home. Why? Well, because Israel, the nation he's a part of, is at battle with the Philistines. Now, the Philistines have this big, giant champion, and his name is Goliath. He's famous, He's he's, he's been famously uh, 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 celebrated, he's been victorious, like he's a known champion, okay? And, and so this is where all the older brothers are. They're all at the battle. Well, I just want you to just think about it. If every military-aged young man and up has to be at the battle, who is still left in Jerusalem in Israel? Well, it's women, it's children, it's the elderly. And so David is left back. He's a shepherd boy. He's back home. He is tending his father's sheep, and his dad calls to him and says, I want you to take some cheese, I want you to take some grain, I want you to go see how your brothers are doing. They're fighting against uh, this Goliath guy, they're fighting with King Saul, and he references the king, and he sends his brother into there. And, I, and now he comes in, and I want to take the camera lens of Scripture, and I want to zoom in on this interaction that David is about to have. David is a shepherd boy, he's he's not supposed to be at the battle, he's there to serve his brothers, honor his father's request. And he's going into a tense, divisive conflict where there's people on two different sides. And now he comes in and shows us, I believe, a way in which we could prioritize the right things, fight the right battles, and make sure that we are right about the right things, not the wrong things. Let's catch up to scripture. Would you turn now to verse 26? This is what, the Bible teaches us. It says this, David asked the man, the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine, Goliath, and removes this disgrace from Israel? He's like, look, there's, there's this dude out there. He's taunting God's people. He's taunting us. He's making fun of our God. He's against what we believe. He's against what... What's going to be done? Now, back then, two like armies used to fight, and whoever would win against the two people that would fight, you would send your best warrior, they'd send their best warrior, they would battle. And so David comes in, and he sees all of his brothers, all of his fellow men, his countrymen, and nobody wants to go fight Goliath. Well, Goliath was like nine feet tall, like his sword was taller than all of them. And so it's like, ah, I'm not signing up for that. Nobody wants to go out. And then all of a sudden, the shepherd boy shows up, and he's like, He's offended. He's he's bothered by it. And and this is where we look at that. And often what we want to do is we want to take that and make that the way we're supposed to. We're supposed to go out and fight them. We're supposed to go. And this is an allegory. This is a story. This is how back then the world was, is that your entire country would be taken away, your economy, all that stuff, if you didn't go actually take the sword. However, there is a difference today, but often what we do is we take age old ideas and say, well, I need to go out there and I need to go like fight my fellow Christian. I need to fight my dad. I need to fight my mom the way David fought Goliath. And it's like, no, 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 that's, we need to dial that down and learn how to do what he does with his brother. Now I want to introduce you to really who most of our interactions come from. Most of our interactions are not going to be us versus, like we're not going to be in hand-to-hand combat like this, in order that our nation is saved and that our children and women are safe. David is. Most of us aren't in that situation. Most of us are gonna be in the position to be able to relationally work this stuff out. And watch what happens when his older brother finds out. Um, In the next verse, sorry, it says this, they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills Goliath. So you go out and fight big, big giant Goliath, this is what's gonna happen to you. Um, verse 27 say, uh, or 28 says, when Eliab, this is David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men. I wanna pause right there. Now, you gotta understand, when you're the older brother in the Jewish culture, it means it was your responsibility to look after the rest of your brothers, but especially the younger brother. That means you're supposed to model to him like what it means to be a man. You're supposed to look after him. You're supposed to make sure that he um, is never picked on, that he's never shamed or made fun of. You're supposed to teach him what it means to be a man after God's heart. So much of what Eliab's responsibility is to show David what a man who loves God acts like, what a warrior acts like, what what someone who serves the army of God, what someone who cares for his family is like. Many of you know what I'm talking about. You are the older brother. You are the older sister. You're the firstborn. It's your job to set the tone to the rest of the brothers and sisters in your family. That's who Eliab is to David. That's who he is to be to David. That is his mandate. That is his calling. That is his birth position. That is his position in David's Life, which is what makes it so interesting how Eliab handles himself. It says this it says that he burned with anger. That's Eliab's response. He burned with anger at his little brother. Now, that means something is off in the heart of Eliab. When Eliab loses focus and he is angry at his brother, angry at someone he should love, angry at someone he should be able to provide mentorship to, care to, be able to talk with, listen to, tell me what's going on, how's dad, what's going on. That should be the older brother's response. And yet, the one who should be mature, the one who should model what it means to follow God, the one who should model emotional maturity, spiritual maturity, all these levels of like what it looks like to be the right kind of man, that's who Eliab's supposed to be. That's not what we get from him. We get him burning with anger at David and asked him, why, why have you come down here? So. He's there to be a servant he's there to honor his father and now there's something good in David's heart that listens to the enemy like coming after and in our world current today the enemy is not a human the enemy is the devil the enemy is the one who hates our soul the enemy is the one who wants to destroy marriages take our teenagers our kids and like ruin their souls and lives that's who we we're fighting an invisible enemy as people of faith we believe in the kingdom of God and we believe there's a kingdom of darkness and evil that is pervasive and dis- desires to ruin us and ruin our souls and ruin our our generations and it's our job to make sure not that we go out there and tell people how dark and evil they are but we go out there with the power and the wisdom and the truth of who God has told us that he is and who we are in him and we show them what Jesus showed us which is I was an offender to the cross I was an offender to the gospel I was offender to who Jesus was and yet though I was offensive to him he loved and gave his life for me that's what we say we believe if we're Jesus followers, that we look to people who disagree. We look to people who we have conflict with and we show them what Jesus showed, which is he washed his disciples feet, though they would all run away and act like they didn't know him, that he is able to have a disagreement and yet function in a way that is still Christ-like. We see this not shown in Eliab. Eliab's got something going on underneath the surface that he is burning with anger. And he says, why have you come down here? And then he gets worse. Watch this next. And with whom did you leave those few sheep? Who did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? Hey, where's your sheep, little shepherd boy? What are you doing over here? This is man, this is man talk. This is, we're wars. We're the army. We're at battle. You don't belong here you're not good enough to be here. You're not pretty enough to be here. You're not smart enough to be here. You, you, you don't have what it takes to be here. What do you think you're going to do? Go leave? What you think your college material? What you doing? You don't have no business being here. Some of you know what it's like to have the people in your family that you should have been able to depend on, to believe in you, to love you, to, to encourage you, to show you, to model it for you. Some of you know what it's like, maybe not in your family, but it was in your church. It was in the church where you thought, I thought you were going to like be able to show me how to disagree, be able to talk openly about the subjects that I'm uncertain about, that we could process it in a safe place together. And yet I showed up and the older Christian brother is angry at me, making fun of me, and is, is posting memes and clowning me. Why? Because they're the spiritually mature one in the family of God. See, this is the problem right now in the church of Jesus in America and in the world is the ones who are supposed to be acting like Eliab don't know how to model the heartbeat of Jesus. They're acting more like Eliab than Jesus. And this is where we must shift because what David gets, though he's there and he's got big dreams and he's got a heart for God, he all of a sudden is being made fun of by the place that's supposed to be safe. Have our churches stayed safe to the people we're trying to show who our Jesus is? Is it? Or is it like just as bad of a war zone as your Facebook timeline? Is our church a safe place to disagree? Or is it just as bad to disagree with Christians as it was for David to go try to fight a big giant named Goliath? It says that, where did you leave those little sheep? He's getting punked. He's being shamed. And his response, it's even worse. It would be one thing if that was some no-name soldier. If the story was, not when Eliab, David's older brother, but if it was an unknown soldier, you know, uh, who was afraid of Goliath, and this young guy was kind of exposing his fear, said this, we'd go, well, that makes sense. That's not cool, but it makes sense. But what's worse is that it was his older brother. The position he should have had, he is violating. He is abdicating the place God's had him in his brother's life. And it's broken and it's sad and it's embarrassing. And yet it's telling, isn't it? And so what we see here is that in this place, in this space, you have Eliab shutting him down. David finally gets to the place where he's, got, he's on the fast track to his future, right? He's been working, 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 being a shepherd boy, being faithful, being good to God, being good to God's sheep, quote unquote, good to his father, obedient to the job that was in front of him. I mean, David will eventually take Goliath out, and he is still featured on the flag of the nation of Israel. That's who David is. Nobody knows that right now, but that's who David is. And yet David has just been inconsequentially on the backside of a mountain with some sheep. Uh, Can I just tell you this? He's being made fun of for his dreams. I want to tell you this. Be careful who you share your dreams with. Be careful who you come and ask questions of of insight and inspiration of. When he asked them, what's going to be done for whoever takes care of this big giant? What's going to be done for that? And they tell him. See, when you start asking questions because you're hopeful, because you're thinking of applying to college, you're thinking of going to hair school, you're thinking of like, maybe I I, want to propose. And you start thinking about, I want to get out of debt. You start thinking, man, I kind of want to forgive my dad. And you talk to someone who's never forgiven their dad. They're going to tell you all the reasons you shouldn't do it. Because be careful when you go to someone with the innocent dreams that God's put in your heart, with the calling on your heart, with the mandate on your heart. Be careful you are not talking to someone who has not resolved their own Eliab issues. Because if you end up talking to someone you should be able to talk to, because they're Eliab in your life, and that's the position they ought to have. But they don't want to deal with the fact that you are exposing their own fear and insecurity. They're going to try to talk you out of doing what God has for you, because they don't want to do what God has for them. This is critical to have an eye on. Because if you miss this, you'll keep being confused why you don't go anywhere. It's probably because the circle of people you talk to don't want to be honest about why they're really afraid. Why they don't want you to progress the things God has you working on. Why? Because if you progress the things God has you working on, it's only going to expose more and more of what I wasn't doing when the giant came out and started yelling and I was standing there. I didn't want to work on my issues. I didn't want to step out from the battle line. I didn't want to deal with myself. And so because I didn't want to deal with myself, I don't want you coming in here showing everybody that the older brother's standing on the sidelines. I want to now shame you. I want to make fun of you. I want to move you out. Why? Because I feel bad about what I haven't done. I don't need an example every day to look at of what I haven't pulled off and resolved in my own life and issues. That's what's really going on here. And he continues, where'd you leave those few little sheep in the wilderness? I know how, ready, conceited you are. So now he's labeling him. You're, you're the one that's conceited, not courageous. Isn't it interesting that somebody who has fear, insecurity, now jealousy, not doing what he's supposed to do, is now finding words to label David with when David is actually being courageous. Be careful. Listen to me. Listen, listen. Be careful when someone labels you with a phrase or a word that you— It's not coming from a place of avoiding what they're supposed to be doing for God. So you're now the conceited one. Why? Well, you're conceited because I'm not courageous and you're being courageous and I don't need a reminder of that. This is an accusation to avoid accountability for who Eliab should be in that moment. He says, I know how conceited you are and I know how, ready? How wicked your heart is. Good night. Actually, the person... And not to say that David doesn't have a wicked heart because he's human, of course he does. But the fact that Eliab is standing there acting like it's him with the pure heart, him with the courage, him that's at the battle. What are you doing here? I know why you came to the battle. Where's your little sheep? I'm a warrior. If I was David, I'd been like, what you talking about? This ain't no battle. This is, this, you sitting in the stands, you ain't doing nothing. Y'all hiding, there's no courage here. I mean, David could have laced him up. David could have told him, like, you know what the problem is, Eliab, ever since I ever came around. But David shows us how to respond to people who have treated us, acted like that to us. Listen, this is where we miss it. I am often um, saddened in my heart, grieved in my heart as a pastor, when I watch the way some of us emotionally respond, even in our climate, online, in conversations, with our friends, I'm saddened when I see how incapable we are of learning how to A, deal with the Davids in our life when God is doing something in their life, B, deal, watch, deal with the Eliabs in our life. Some of us act like Eliab when we come into contact with Eliab. We're just as bad as Eliab with what? But David shows us how to respond and I want you to pay attention. This is what it does. Verse 29 says this. It says, now, what have I done, says David? Can I even speak? The Bible tells us in Proverbs that a soft answer turns away wrath. A soft answer turns away wrath. What he doesn't do is start accusing Eliab also. He doesn't counter him with more words. I'm conceited. You're the one, right? And I like to do that. You like, we like to do that. It's easier for me to counter attack you for the attacks I'm feeling from you. But when you are grounded in Christ, when you're grounded in God, when you know your calling, you don't get caught up with what Eliab's doing. See, I want you to hear this. Eliab wants to pretend he's fighting big giants, but he's actually fighting little ones. See, that's the problem. Too many of us fight the little giants. We fight these small little battles, these small little arguments that distract us from the big giant. I'd rather be right than the relationship was right. You'd rather have your point of view be something you tell somebody than having the right to have a conversation with them when they need God someday in their life. But you can't have that conversation with them because you violated being trustworthy, being safe by attacking them for your point. That's what Eliab's done. Iliab's done that, but David doesn't respond like Eliab. David knows that God's called him to do what he is to do. He understands. See, David's there to really fight the big giant. He ain't caught up in the small arguments. He's not caught up with the little giants. He wants to go after the big ones. Too many Christians don't have the spiritual maturity in our current climate. And I get it. I know it's hard because we have a nonstop train of information and media coming after us, trying to divide us, trying to make us hate the opposite view of our own life. And we get washed up in it but we're the people of God. We're supposed to model to them how it is that we disagree with somebody, how we deal with someone who's not been nice or fair to us. We don't answer wrath with wrath. We don't answer accusation with accusation. We don't answer someone name-calling us, labeling us with more name-calling and labeling. That's not the people of God. No, the people of God go, you know what? I'm about to bow out of this thing. It doesn't seem like you really wanna have a healthy discussion. Can I, can, I have, can I have a turn? I would just, can't I even speak? Even that is a respectful way to ask for a turn. It invites dignity. It invites respect. It's a soft answer. It calms things down. That's spiritual maturity. The sad part is it's coming from the young one, not the old one. See, listen to me, everyone under the age of 40, 30, 20 teenagers, listen, listen, listen. We need you because some of us remember a different nation, remember a different city. And it's hard. There's so much emotion to try to reconcile. You don't have some of that baggage. We need your hearts free of that baggage To attach and link in to God's way of dealing with this stuff and show it to us. Please don't get caught up with how I, I'm 43, how me and my generation are doing some of these things. Don't take on our offenses, don't take on our practices, don't become like Eliab. Stay David. Stay, hey, cool, that's fine if you think like that. I'd like to talk. I wish we could have had a conversation about it, but. It's cool that that's not how we want this to go. Can I even speak? And then it goes on and he says this in verse 30. He then, watch, he turned away to someone else. Turn away to someone else. Find someone else. Don't keep sharing. your. Don't fight your brother. Don't try to make your point. Don't go down thread to thread to thread to thread. Meme, 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 link, link, link. No, just turn away. Something else, someone else. Be about the mandate. Why? That's what people who fight big giants do. People who want to fight little giants Go back in and fight and fight and send and share. and You and you, what about you? I'm not conceited, you're the Little giants acting like they're fighting big giants. Big giants, they turn away. They go find someone else. And they brought up the same matter and the men answered him as before. He found someone mature enough to handle the conversation. Go find someone more mature. It doesn't mean you shame the one. It doesn't mean you clown him. You know what, you're too, no, you just go, hey, can I? It seems like we're not getting anywhere in this conversation. I'm gonna bow out. Humility. I'm gonna bow. You know what? I love you. We're brothers. We're sisters in Christ. Like, hey, just, I'll see you Sunday. I love you. I don't want, you know, I don't want this to become the definition of our friendship, our relationship. I'm gonna, and then you just go find someone you can have a healthy disagreement, discussion, process your thoughts with without it meaning I'm going to come after you. no. None of that, and this is where it gets so good to me. He, he then, next, next verse, verse 31 then says, so what David said was overheard, watch this, and it was reported to Saul. David's ideas made their way to the king. Made their way to the king. He's a shepherd boy showing up to a battle, but it's his character of dealing with accusations and conflict and unfair treatment and name-calling and labeling that gets his ideas to the king. What would happen if your ideas got brought to the king? Would it make the kingdom of God better? Would it make the church better? Would it make everyone else's families better if your ideas and your character and the way you deal with conflict and labeling and accusations, what what if that got brought to the king? Would it make it better? Would you be proud of that? See, this is a good challenge for us because I want us to be able to live this out. It ain't always true of me and it ain't always true of you. This is why this is convicting and it helps our hearts get stung a little bit by truth and accountability of God's perfection and go, I can't do it. I ask you to convict me and I ask you to help me and cleanse me and make me more like you. And it says this, this is so good. It was reported to Saul and watch what the king does. The king says, I want you to bring him to me. He sends for a shepherd boy. He sends for the one who is the younger. I want to talk to every single one of you that ever felt like, man, God had something great on your life, but you got sidetracked or "Or people tried to keep you away from it or, or you got so angry. See, here's who I want to talk to. Some of you have been living out who Eliab is, but God's called you to be David in some ways. Others of you keep trying to live out who David is, but God's called you to be Eliab the right way. And we have to learn how to stop trying to say, God, I wanna be David, I wanna go. No, what I need to be is the older brother, the older sister that serves other people, that encourages them, that loves them. And I'm okay if someone better than me, younger than me, actually is the one who ends up doing the real battle or doing it or people knowing his name. There are things that no one will ever know that you did. No one will ever understand what you did. But if you can become okay with that, then instead of being the older sister, the older brother, the, 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 the other person in the family of God that frustrates the younger and sends the young generation away from our churches... You'll be someone that invites them in, encourages them. Tell me more of your ideas. What does this sound like to you? Not, well, I'm gonna tell you what, don't you forget. And this is what it was like, and you better. Did that work when you were young? Did that invite you to the table? Could you not wait to sit down with whoever did you like that? No, it didn't work. And it's not working now when we do it either. We're letting the world tell us as a church how to do disagreement, how to treat the Eliabs. And it's time for the church to repent and to model the right Christ-like, God-like behavior, because that's what David shows us. How do we do this? How do we take this home? How do we make this more like us? Well, I think we have to focus on the things that matter. For me, sometimes it's the big giants. For me, sometimes it's recognizing that my daughter needs my attention and my time and my heart, and instead what often she'll get is this is the image that my daughter will get. She'll get me doing this right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too often, this is the big giant that we're pretending to do when the big giant is the time and energy and care to the ones underneath us. Yes, my daughter's four, your daughter might be 14, but in essence, what they need is our heart, our attention, and a space to process their thoughts. My daughter says stuff that is nonsensical to the reality of the world, and guess what? She needs a safe place to do that. Are you a safe place? Or have you let the same spirit that got into Eliab Get into your heart today. I believe God wants to transform you, and as He transforms you, He transforms your family, your tribe, your unit of, of, of living, your job, your workplace. He'll transform your life group, the place you serve. He'll transform our churches. Cape Christian in our city church, we can be different. Listen, our cities need our churches. They need someone they see online who handle themselves with the type of Christ-like dignity, and we could disagree with each other's ideas without having to disagree with each other as people. We don't have have to let the world tell us how to do it. We don't have to project our issues. We don't have to be like Eliab, who secretly are afraid and let the fear dictate the way we tell everyone everything of what is going on. We could be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I want to help David get where he's going, not keep him from where he's going because it makes me afraid because I would never go out and fight Goliath like that. How can we learn to do this? You got to be honest. I think the first thing you have to do is you have to own and speak to the Eliab in your heart. Number two, I think that you have to speak to the part of you that is, hey, how can I not respond to the Eliabs in my life? Uh, At Cape Christian, I think that it's a part for you guys to be able to say, God's put us in Cape Coral for something so grand and so great, and the future is bright. But God, how do we come back to being the people you called us to be? How do we respond to our disagreements in a way that is actually like the Bible teaches, not the way our world and society is teaching us? And you can't change that if you don't admit that. And for our city church, a simple one is December, I mean, I'm sorry, September 27th, go sign up, that's our first come back together. And we're coming back together. I wanna to invite you to go do that, go sign up today, go be a part, invite someone so we can worship together, hear from God's word, take communion together. That's an easy next step, why? Because it's something that says, I want to make sure that we're coming together on this thing, not staying separate, not staying frustrated. Listen to me, God wants to use our churches And he wants to use you, but it starts with the smallest little shift in our hearts and our desire to not model what me being right sounds like, but to model what we being right sounds and looks like. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask that you would take us and make us more like you. I thank you for the example that David sends us. I thank you even for the example Eliab sends us. And God, I ask that you would really convict and challenge the parts of me, God, that lets the stuff underneath become the way I treat the Davids in my life, the way I treat the women, the men in my life with a calling to do something great. God, may we be the encouragement to the next generation. May we be a safe place in our families. God, may we learn how to disagree with the grace, God, that David showed his own older brother who should have been showing him I ask today, God, for Cape Christian, God, to be prospered in what you've called them to do. God, what a great church they are. We are grateful to them. Continue to prosper them so that they could build your kingdom the way they've helped us at our city church build your kingdom in California. Lord, and for our city church, would you minister to us today and through us today? May we show our city, God, what it looks like, God, when people desire to show your humility, your meekness, your ability, God, to come together with different ideas, but with one kingdom concept, and that's to bring people to a loving Savior. I pray these things over our churches in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. Love you, churches. God bless you guys today.